2: This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro.
3: I know it's your favorite time of the week. It's also my favorite time of the week and Chris's favorite time of the week. Right now, it's time for the Decibel Geek Podcast. We're back and we're ready to rock and roll. We do all kinds of different things on this show. A lot of variety. Is what you get. When you say? I'm Aaron Camaro, as always, and this is my co host, the coolest friend I know, Mr. Chris Sinzak.
0: Variety, that's a good word for it. Is it you, you never know what you're going to get.
3: It's true, you know, because when we started this podcast way, way back, you know, we said, what do we want to be, you know, and it's like, let's leave it as wide open as possible so that we never get bored with it. We always thought if we put ourselves and say, this is what we do, and we do it every single week, and it's always the same, then after a while, that might get boring. So we decided our show is gonna be about everything to do with hard rock and metal music, and so we can do all kinds of different things. So, for example, last week, you got Fresh Blood, 10 brand new, kick-ass, hard rock and metal bands in a day and age where everybody says rock is dead. Uh-uh, we proved it once again last week. My picks were awesome, I know. Chris, everybody loved your picks. Everybody really always loves fresh blood, I think.
0: Yeah, and it's uh it's always fun for us to do cuz like if you're an old school Decibel geek fan, you, you know, you probably miss the full songs as much as we do. So yeah. it, it's it's a theme we can do or we can get away with the full song thing and not have record companies all over our ass for it and uh yeah i mean i i i I think that'll be a a long-standing thing going forward we're always going to do those shows
3: yeah we've been doing it for a long time i mean so like for example you know it wasn't all that long ago we did the best and worst of led zeppelin so of course we want to talk about the legends of hard rock and metal music but we also know that it's very important to showcase What's next and what's now, you know? Because we've said a million times, the legends—they're not getting any younger, and they're retiring left and right. I mean, Kicks just retired a couple of weeks ago, and supposedly Kiss is going to be retiring soon. And Aerosmith is having a hell of a time making it happen. And like I said, just left and right, we're losing the legends. So it's so important to keep it alive. And look to the future, and Fresh Blood's always a perfect way to do that. We always appreciate all the feedback you guys give us when we do those because it's not just for us, it's for the bands, it's for the future of rock music, and we got to keep it alive. So thank you to everybody that commented on all that and got involved and followed the bands. It's beautiful. We're keeping it alive. I know we're doing it. It's so important. So, like I said, we do all kinds of different things, And one thing we did a long time ago that we never really came back to was a thing called Brushes with Greatness. And the idea was, because there's few things in life that are more fun than to hear stories about people you like and admire and would even like to meet yourselves one day, hear stories of other people who have gotten to meet them and what that was like. You know, last time we got a funny story about William Duvall from Alice in Chains. We had a great story about Rick James. And we had a bunch of different guests come on and all share a cool story that they had about a brush with greatness. Well, we've got a friend who's had so many brushes with greatness. He could almost start his own podcast and just call it that and tell stories about all the awesome people he's met throughout his life and could have a podcast that would go on for years and years and years. But today we said, hey, man, do you think you could pick out maybe, you know, four or five really cool ones to tell us about? And today we're going to be hanging out with Rick Fox as we do brushes with greatness with him and I can only imagine the stories we're going to hear today.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you've heard Rick on the show for over the many the years we've done it and on the live stream, we had a great appearance on our live stream uh, with his KISS-related stories. So um, he's never short on cool stories to tell. And, uh, you know, Rick has a, a good career on his own, you know, founding member of Steeler and of Wasp and several other good bands. So um, it's going to be cool to, to get into this. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to hear what he's got to share with us today.
3: Heck, yeah, me too. So no better time than right now to start getting to it because we got to take care of the business before we get to have some fun. If you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. So here we go. We've got a review. Can you believe it? All these weeks in a row, we must be doing something right. People really like us. People care about rock and roll. And they're showing us by leaving us reviews on Apple giving us Podchaser reviews, and those oh-so-elusive Facebook recommendations. We haven't had one of those in a while. I used to think that was the easy one, but apparently not. Hit us up on there. If you're on the Facebook, give us a recommendation. We like that. This one here is an Apple Podcast review. It's entitled Led Zeppelin's Second Review Show. It's got all five stars, and it goes like this. Always look forward to your show every week. Been listening for years. Have to speak up, though. How dare thee besmirch the song Hot Dog. Ha ha. I love that song. I honestly do. What is going on here?
0: Yeah, that comes from Hot Dog Fanboy. <laughs> <on our>
3: podcast. <laughs> what the hell? Like, I think when we do that, in my mind, I think, well, this is the most universally accepted worst pick on a Led Zeppelin album that there could ever be. I mean, this song is just awful. It's the worst thing they've ever done. And then you release it to find out people love that weird-ass tune.
0: Yeah, apparently. Well, Hot Dog Fanboy, uh, sleep with the one eye open, buddy, okay? <laughs> but thank you for listening.
3: Yeah, no, we appreciate it, and we definitely appreciate the review. That's strange, man. That's weird, but I still love it. If you like something what the hell you got to stand up for it whether anybody else thinks so or not as it turns out i guess a few people like the song hot dog (laughs) whoever's gonna find him and kill him's got their work cut out now we find out
0: Uh, yeah it's a whole clan of people
3: wild just wild thank you for that review we appreciate it very much every single one counts for when we go back to our bosses at Pantheon Podcast and say, What do you think, bosses? We're doing a good job. Look at all these reviews and recommendations. And they go, Great, boys. Keep up the great work. Because here at Pantheon, all they want to do is promote music podcasts and entertainment podcasts. And so they thought, What's the best way to do this? They would see people and go, What do you know about podcasts? And be like, Well... I downloaded a couple, I listened to them, they were garbage, I never listen to podcasts again. And they thought, hmm, how could we save people from going through the hassle of having to find their favorite podcasts by going through maybe hundreds of crappy ones? They said, I've got a genius idea. What if we took all the best music podcasts of all different genres, hard rock, heavy metal, country pop rap all the other ones they're all covered no matter what you like pantheon's got you so here's what you want to do you want to check out pantheon easy way to do that is to download their app go into your play store or whatever you got download the pantheon podcast app scroll on through there you're gonna find new awesome podcasts and you're gonna go you know what this is great. These podcasts have already been vetted for me. I know I'm not getting no bullshit from podcasters that don't know what the hell they're doing. You wait for them. They'll get better someday, and then maybe they can be on Pantheon. But for now, you don't have to take the time to go through all that. You can have the best of the best served right up to you, and that's exactly what Pantheon Podcast does. Simple, easy. They're doing you a favor saving you a lot of time at the end of your life when you're laying on your deathbed with your family surrounding you are you going to think i wish i'd have really explored more of those crappy podcasts boy oh boy if i could just go back and get some of those hours back pantheon they're extending and saving lives right now check them out get the app find your new favorite podcasts the best of the best that's on pantheon so We here at the Decibel Geek Podcast, as you know, we appreciate it very much when you leave us reviews and recommendations, but every time that we come out with a new episode, you're going to find us on the Facebook, you're going to find us on the X, and we're going to announce, hey, it's Brushes with Greatness with the one and only Rick Fox, and rock and rollers that are our friends will see that on their social medias, they'll share it, they'll retweet it, they'll re-exit, whatever the hell it is anymore, I don't even know, But they get the word out about what we've got going on here at the Decibel Geek Podcast. And the cool thing about that is when people do that for us, man, we appreciate it so much. We decided years ago, like, we got to do this. If people are going to help us, we got to give them the recognition they deserve. So a long time ago, we started a thing where when you share and retweet our episode, we will gather your name and put it on a mighty awesome list of people that have done the same thing. Only the most awesome people on the planet. Only the geeks of the week.
0: Geeks of the week this week are Adam Cox, Rock and Ron Rennie, Kristen Schimbeck, Sean McGinty, Pantheon Podcast, and Obscuria Podcast, Shay Hargett, Lenny Cartwright, Tom Logson, Shane Aber, Aaron Baker, Mike Parnell, Kevin Northern, Jason Warden, Sit and Spin with Joe, Simon Cat, John Phillips, David Glenn, The Plug Podcast, Boris Petrovsky, Kevin Williams, Brent Tibbetts, Bill Elam, Mark Alden Taylor, Freeform Rock Podcast, Mark and Jerry BS Sessions. Jay Shabluski, Ernesto Aguiar, Ladio, Hakon Bergstad, Eric Sinzak, Keith Rockford, Vet Halen, Whiting Guitar Works, Gregory Muse, Too Punk to Be a Podcast, Brad Owen, J.J. McElhenny, Kevin's on Fire, Focus on Metal, David Cathy, Will Honeycutt, Joseph Capone, Victor Ruiz, Scott Crouch, and as always,
3: The Booger Fooger. Oh yeah, those are our people. Thank you guys so much for helping us get the word out about what we're doing, rocking and rolling, talking all about it, and having a damn good time doing it with you, and that's what we love. So if I'm ready, I know, Chris, you're ready. Let's do it. It's Brushes with Greatness with Rick Fox. Get ready. concept a long long time ago because it's so much fun just to sit around with your friends and sometimes you talk about you know one time I met this guy you know and one time I met this person you know and it's always fun to tell and hear these stories all the time so we came up with a little concept called brushes with greatness and we had we done it once I think we've only done it once right
0: yeah with Richie Rivera
3: and it was a lot of fun and it was really cool and everybody liked it but then for whatever reason we never went back to doing it again so we got talking about like, okay, what what kind of stuff can we do coming up? And I said, you know, we never ever went back and did brushes with greatness again. And I was thinking, man, you know, I know a guy that's probably got a million brushes with greatness that he could tell us about. And I said to Chris, man, we ought to get Rick Fox on the show to do brushes with greatness with us and man it all came right together rick has been a guest on the show many times in the past like chris said with the live stream everybody loves rick fox we love rick fox and so ladies and gentlemen back on the decibel geek podcast once again it's rick fox
1: Uh, thanks guys thanks for having me
0: oh no problem so yeah so we we gave you a little bit of a warning uh, a few days ago about this and uh, just so you could You could, because we said try to pick five because you've got a million, like Aaron said in the intro, you could probably do an entire podcast series with this theme. So um, I'll just let you take the floor. What do you got for your first one?
1: Well, as as you know, I think I was mentioning when we first discussed this, uh, the term brushes with greatness, I think, was first coined on David Letterman. uh i know it was a late night talk show i just thought it was was uh, letterman but it's it's a great title because a lot of people do it it happens to a lot of us all the time um i gotta say i probably have a a disadvantage over most people because i work in hollywood in the film industry so my brushes with greatness happened all the time you know i I worked with a lot of uh a, a lot of actors you know and uh and stuff like that so so yeah, that was part of my job was brushing with greatness was, was like, you know, uh, an occupational, not a hazard, but, uh, it just, it just happened, but well, there's, you know, there's the Hollywood brushes with greatness. And then there's the, the rock brushes with greatness. And so, um, uh, well, let's see back in, 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 uh, in New York in the seventies, uh, you know, there was a couple of clubs that I hung out at and, and uh, we brushed shoulders with a lot of people from the record industry because they're always out scouting, uh, uh, you know, to talent. It was a, a club on the Bowery, just a few doors up from uh, CBGB's, and it was called uh, Great Gildersleeve. Mm-hmm. And a lot of uh, mid range touring bands or bands just starting out with their first album that needed to get used to a, a bigger stage and like a smaller club stage would, would play there. So uh, we we're rubbing shoulders with a lot, we we're rubbing shoulders with the Hells Angels all the time. But uh, um, and that's that's kind of some greatness to to capacity. But I was able to rub shoulders there with uh, the great uh, late great Felix Papillardi, who was the basis for uh, Mountain yeah. and producer of Cream. Uh, he he was there working with Thor, who I was working with. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know I, I received a really great compliment from Felix at one point during our conversation. He goes, you know, it's guys like you that keep making me feel young. I'm I'm really glad to have. Have guys like you around us, and, and when you can articulate yourself really well to them, that kind of levels the playing field a little bit, breaks the ice a lot. And 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 he shared a secret with me about you know how Mountain used to get that that ratty fuzzy overtone out of their amps. And he said we used to get we used to have the roadies would would prick pins into the speakers, and then as the speakers would vibrate until they until they shattered themselves, they would get you know uh, uh, that fuzzy ratty you know overdrive sound. And I, and I said, yeah, but then your speakers blow out. He goes, well, we had amps on the side, you know, extra cabinets. As soon as something would pop, we'd just look over at the crew. They'd pull out a cabinet and put another one in his place. And then later on, you know, we'd, they'd swap out the speakers and start the whole process over again. does not really get to hear or know about, you know, so it's great when they right. share the little inside, you know, dirt with you on, on stuff like that. Um that's cool. It's, that's like
0: homemade homemade distortion.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, all the secrets of the studio, I guess, and and, and whatnot. Um, let's see, what else? Um uh, I had mentioned about when my, my first meeting with Eric Carr, which was uh during the KISS rehearsals at the Palladium. It was it was supposed to be his debut show in nineteen eighty. His, his first show with them. And at that point, his character was still a Hawk. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I come walking up the street there to the, the backstage area, the Palladium, Eric sitting on the hood of somebody's car. Uh, that's what we did a lot back in New York. We always sat on somebody's car. And, then, uh, uh, my friend Randy, who, who passed away, Randy, uh, Paul or, or Randy rocks was already in, in a conversation with Eric. And I came walking up, and, and he says, hey, oh, oh, I want you to meet my friend. He stuttered a lot. I want, I want you to meet my friend uh, uh, Rick Fox. And Eric just kind of popped his head back, looked at me. He goes, Rick Fox? I said, yeah. He goes, what a cool name. You know, he, we shook hands like that. And he says, Fox, huh? Fox. Like he was thinking Fox. And, well, <laughs> his history would bear out a few nights later was his first show with Kiss, and his character was all of a sudden now a fox. <laughs> so you know, coincidence? I don't know. Wow,
0: that is weird. You know, yeah, years yeah. years
1: later, my first—I uh, uh, was at the Roxy seeing Steeler before I had joined. It was the original Nashville lineup. Yeah, and Eric was there, so Eric and I were hanging out, and and he had asked me uh, about a girl that I had loosely dated real briefly, and, and he said, "Can you set me up with her?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, no problem, like that." And I said, "You know," and I told what I just told you about our meeting. And, and coming up with the with the character of the fox, and I said, "Was that based off of my name And he got this twinkle in his eye, and he just looked at me and he just smiled and he and he winked and, wow. I, <laughs> uh, so I, I think well he's not here to to confirm that unfortunately right. but I right. just like to think that that's probably where where it happened from. A lot of people would not believe that. Yeah, you know, they're like, "Oh, who are you, who are you to him? Why would he use your name to make a character?" I, you know, I ran through that with the Vinnie Vincent thing. But why would Vinnie take your material? So, you know, people are gonna people are gonna be out there, but and say that. But yeah. everyone else enjoys the story, so why not?
3: Yeah, no, it makes sense. I bet you he ran immediately inside right up to Gene and says, "I don't want to be a chicken. I want to be a fox." <laughs> you know, I, I he didn't do that at what when I was standing
1: there, but that he may have contemplated that after he did go in. I don't I don't know.
0: The hawk thing was what they wanted to do and then they he looked ridiculous in the costume and you know, we had Pixie on the show who was their wardrobe person and she was helping out try to figure it out and it was they were like kind of stumped on what to come up with till the last minute. So could have played into it. You yeah. never know. It
1: made the makeup idea much more organic and fluid. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean what did he have for a hawk? Was he going to wear a beak? <laughs>
0: well, yeah. It looked. His makeup looked like a beak, and, it, and like he had a big furry chest piece. There's photos out there of yeah. it. He looked like Big Bird,
3: basically. Yeah, it's not cool.
1: It, 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 one way or another, it, it worked, out, worked out for the best anyway, and, and that was a good character for him. So... The, the girl that I introduced him to, wound up becoming the model on the cover of the Poison album. Open up and say, "Ah,
0: the, the red." Oh, that was uh, she, bambi Bambi, right? exactly.
1: Yeah, Virginia. Yeah. So, so, and Virginia was the one that got me in trouble. It was when I tried when I went to bring her back to Blackie's house, not knowing that she, he had already tried to pick her up earlier in the evening in the club, and she told him no. Uh. And I didn't know that. <laughs> bringing, i It's me bringing her back to the house. And he's got to see the girl that told him no when and this was confirmed by Randy Piper lady said that's why you got kicked out of wasp because you brought a couple of girls back to the house you know uh, uh, that, that he wanted to bring home and they told him no oh man so 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 Bambi confirmed that she goes did, did he try to pick you up earlier in the evening she goes yeah I told him get lost oh my god I went oh man so that's where that came from man you know uh, wow
4: Love on the rocks Love
1: on the rocks She's my shot Love on the rocks so let, me, let me move on here. Uh, so I had a friend whose uncle worked one of the follow spots at the Palladium in New York. So she used to get in free all the time. And we became friends. And she said, my uncle worked. I get you in for free if you want. I said, sure. So I was getting into the Palladium, like, for free, all these, these shows, you know, and and like that. And and uh, so one of the shows, well, I got to see Hart. Uh, I saw Stars, Cheap Trick. Uh, I saw Van Halen. Nice. Now, their, their first tour nice. out at, at the Palladium. I still got uh, David Lee Roth's towel. We'll circle back to that in a minute.
0: And that was, that was the tour that Robert Fleischman was the opener, wasn't it?
1: I don't remember. I don't remember. I think
0: he was opening for them on that tour. Yeah, I really don't remember.
1: I, the excitement was all about Van Halen, so I don't remember yeah, who opened sure. for him. But um, one of the shows that I was sitting down front was for Pat Travers. And it was you know, the Boom Boom Out Goes the Lights tour. Yeah. And he had Mars Cowling on bass, Tommy Aldridge on drums, and Pat wow. Thrall on guitar. I'm sitting like right down front, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm making eye contact with these guys. Just my mouth, I'm like, "Wow," you know, just coming out like like gangbusters, you know. There was a lot of lot of energy coming out of a Pat Travers show, no doubt. And so, cut to 1983. I'm now in Steeler. Our first show, we're debuting the new lineup, and we're opening for Hughes Thrall. All
0: right. Yeah.
1: So, so while we're doing the show. I happen to look over in my peripheral vision on the right hand side where you come onto the stage at the stage door. There's Pat Thrall standing there with his mouth open watching Malmsteen. You know. Yeah. <laughs> as as the rest of the crowd in the house were watching. And after the show, I I got to go over to talk to Pat Thrall. He was very approachable. And and I don't know why I never got to meet up and talk to Glenn Hughes. I I the night was a blur and, and like that. And so I said, he goes to me, where did you get this guy from? And I said, Mike Varney found him out of Sweden in his, his guitar s- spotlight column like that. And, and he goes, yeah, I've never seen anything like this before. And I said, you know, let me throw this at you for a second. You know, a few years ago, the late 70s, probably 78, 79, I saw you guys at the Palladium with Pat Travers. I was down the front, as I just told you the story, and he looked back up. So he looks at me. Goes, that's where you look familiar from. Nice. He actually remembered you. Know, I mean, I had the punky hair, punky Meadows hairstyle. So it's pretty hard to to you know forget that, I guess. And he goes, "Yes, I remember you now." I said, "And here we are, years later. I'm, I'm looking at you up on the stage like like a rock god." And here, a couple of years later, we're sharing the same stage. Isn't that fucking incredible?
3: It's amazing.
1: You know, it's like a, a fan to a, a hero, kind of. And again, the playing field got leveled for, for a moment. Right. There, it was really, really nice. And and I, you know, Pat was he's a really, really nice guy, and like that. And 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 uh, and we kind of laughed about it. And I said, "Oh, and by the way, I have both of your Automatic Man albums." And he just kind of went, "Oh, and, oh man, thank you so much." I was a, a, like a side project he had, and it was like progressive space rock. had like pyramids and aliens, you know, and stuff on the album and 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 that kind of theme, thematic space. It was kind of a funky jazzy space stuff. Mike Shreve, the drummer from Santana, was played on that. And I say, you know, and, and when you approach a an artist who releases an album like that, it doesn't really sell a lot, you know, or or to to the mainstream and do really well, to tell them that you've, you 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 own their album, their product. That, that kind of really makes their moment, you know, for them. I did the yeah, same with yeah. Ken Hensley at the NAM show. You know, I, I I've been a Uriah Heat fan from like '72, and and uh, I saw them at Central Park um, at the Schaefer Music Festival. So to, to meet Ken Hensley at the NAM show, and I told him, you know, what a massive Uriah Heep fan I was. I said, you probably hear that a, a million times a day from from everybody. He was he was working as a representative for St. Louis Music Supply. And Ampeg amps and whatnot. And I said, I'm gonna next year, if you're gonna be here, I'm gonna bring your, your solo album and I'm gonna have you sign it for me. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, okay, sure, sure. Like that. Like again, he probably hears that a million times. The next year I showed up at Nam, I had his uh, solo album, Proud Words on a Dusty Shelf. And he goes, He goes, So you're the other person that bought that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at it and he looked at it. And you could see the tears welling up in his eyes. And that was such a moving moment for both of us, you know, and he signed it and I still have it. And, and, and he just, you know, thank you so much for, for actually, he goes, I didn't even, I didn't remember. I forgot, I forgot from last year. This was, this was going to happen. So it it, it was a nice touching moment for both of us. I I, I live for moments like that when you can, you can look at your heroes and they can, um, it's it, like i said it's just a one of those moments that levels the playing field you're just two guys you're, you're just two people you're not like star and fan
0: you know right, so it's uh... a
1: really it's, those are magic moments
3: awesome,
1: and uh, uh, so oh, oh, circling back to to David Lee Roth, uh, uh, after the, the show at the Palladium, I went through the dressing room. and I snagged his towel, which I still have.
4: Oh yeah, <laughs> nice.
1: I still a little white, still a little white towel, you know, bar towel. Um, but when I first arrived in L.A., that that first night that Blackie took me out, we went to the Troubadour, and David Lee Roth was there, hanging out in the crowd with everybody. Wow you know, at the front bar. Uh, I don't know if you ever had a chance to visit the troubadour, but like that a little while later, Blackie grabs me. He goes, let's go up to the rainbow. These is all new to me. I, I'd never, I've seen them in magazine, Roxy magazine, but I, it's my first time, you know, seeing them up close. So we walk into the rainbow, there's punky meadows, there's Michael diamond from legs diamond. They both remembered me and said, hi, what are you doing here? And I said, uh, uh you know, I'm auditioning for Blackie's band. And he said, well, good luck with that. Um, uh, Blackie got us a table and within 20, 20 minutes who comes walking in with that big big smile? David Lee Roth like I own the room you know. <laughs> walking, and he comes down the aisle and he looks at us and he sits at our table and nice. I look at Blackie and I, and I look at Dave, 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 that David Lee Roth grin oh, yeah. that he always had it was like 24-7 that grin was on you know, and, and just like he does on stage and I'm thinking to myself, pinch me I mean, how how often does this happen to somebody? David Lee Roth sits down at their table. Wow. You know, like, I'm here for the duration. I was going
0: to say, what kind of word salad did you get served up by (laughs) David Lee Roth at at that time?
1: Like his typical speaking, like, hey, how you guys doing? Well, I'm here. Let's own the room, guys. Come on. I'm here. You know, uh, like that. And then then when uh, um, a year or so later... When my band Sin was playing the the troubadour, the, our first lineup, and it was frickin' packed. I, I had no idea that that many people were going to show up for us, and and uh, and Dave was, comes up into the dressing room, and he's he's looking at me up and down. He's giving you know checking out my outfit or something. I said, "So what what, what brings you here?" And he goes, well, "Well, I heard a lot about you guys. I uh, want to come check you out. You ain't got got a buzz going on." So. And I'm, and I'm like, I just happened to notice how he was just inspecting what I was wearing. <laughs> and my outfit was, you know, essentially black spandex and, and black fabric with red cut shredded stuff all over it. Which I borrowed that idea from um, the, the police video of Synchronicity 2. Opens up with the camera pulling back and Sting is hanging from a wire. And he's, all his clothes look like they've been bomb blasted and shredded. And I went, what a great concept if you could get a whole band to look like that, which I did. And I designed all our sin costume. Each guy had his own color. You know, I had red. One guy had white. Another guy had blue. Another guy had purple. Frank Star wore whatever he wanted. Um, <laughs> that was okay. Uh, but, but like a couple of weeks later, Van Halen's video come for Jump comes out on MTV. And I'm sitting there with my mouth open going, Jesus Christ, look what he's wearing. <laughs> <laughs> he's got half of my outfit on he's got the black pants with the red shredded fabric hanging all over it and the torn shirt and I'm like these, these guys just don't miss a trick do they
0: uh.
4: you know
1: and it was, a, it was a famous interview where Roth said I put my hat on and I, put my, I pull up my collar and I and I just blend in and I walk around and I look at this and I see that and, I, and he, he gets all of these ideas and goes back and I guess that's what he did after he saw my outfit so you know, it, it, this stuff happens. Their their big bands, their costume designers come to the clubs. They see what the what the up and coming, movering and shaking bands are wearing, yeah. and then they go back and they redesign, they adapt some of that. And then things you see, Kiss is wearing like claw reflectors and shredded fabric, and you know oh, yeah. bits and pieces of every conglomerations of everybody's outfits. And then the bands in the clubs get accused of stealing from them. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> You know, I I, I I was friends with some of the the costume designers, you know, for Ozzy and, and Kiss and these you know, Flurthier I knew these people, so I knew they were coming to the club. Mm. But you know then you see the, the the culmination of it in the bigger stars, the A list guys wearing variations of what you were wearing. I don't know. No,
0: I don't. I remember C.K. Lint's book uh, Kiss Kiss and Sell. He was managing them during the Crazy Nights era. And they said it actually became a joke around the office because the mantra it, around the office was, did Bon Jovi do it? And that was always the basis for all of their decisions going forward. So, <laughs> I mean, a lot of the older bands were doing that. They that's, try to latch that's a on. a variation
1: of, what would Jesus do? Yeah. <laughs>
0: did Bon Jovi do it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Some years later, uh, uh, while I was in Surgical Steel, I had just missed the uh, the, the the taping for the uh, the uh, the hearing aid. We're stars,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I guess well, yes, I wasn't high up on the in their circle. Um, but during the um, uh, uh, Sacred Heart tour, came through L.A. Uh, I used to get a lot of passes for uh, a venue called Irvine Meadows, yeah. which was in Orange County, right next to Lion Safari. A lot of people from Hollywood did not want to go all the way down Orange County to see the concerts. So subsequently, there would be a lot of passes left over. And I was friends with some of the girls that worked at the, the, uh, the ticketing agencies. And they'd say, you know, I, I, they would come in for free at our show, so we'd reciprocate and they'd give me backstage passes for Irvine. And so I got passes for Dio and we're hanging out backstage and at some point during the show, Wendy Dio comes running up, grabs me by my left elbow. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And and you, and you, and you, come on, let's go. And you, and she's grabbing all of us band band guys from Hollywood, whoever was standing around there. And she takes us around the backstage area and, and underneath all the scaffolding we come out of the castle turret on uh, uh on Jimmy Bain's side, and I, and I, and I look up, and you know, there's Claude Schnell up in the keyboards and like that, and and uh and, and there's like guys from Poison and Nader from London and uh uh geez, everybody from Hollywood who was there. We're all on stage. And Ronnie says, We're gonna do the first live rendition of We're Stars. And all wow. anybody had to do was just say, you know, we're stars, you know, but I'm in the and so me and the guys from Poison and Nader were on Jimmy Bain's mic. Uh, and everybody else was kind of spread out all over the other, the other microphones. And, and it was like, wow, now I've, going to see a band at Irvine is one thing, but actually being on stage and looking at it from the other perspective, it's, 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 it's uh, marveling like that. So that was my first time performing on stage with, with, with Dio, being able to do that. And wow. what happened was the very next weekend – Uh, Ronnie was still in town. uh, Rough Cut was playing at the country club. And as usual, everybody and their mother was there up in the VIP balcony. He did it again. He grabbed everybody from the VIP balcony, brought us all down on stage. And I, I I pictured this. Uh, And we all kind of, they pushed us up around Ronnie and we repeated the whole thing. You know, the weird star is live. And uh, I happened to be between Vince Neil and Ronnie and, and uh, Jeff Labar. Tom Hardy, I think, from Stormer, uh, like that. And and when it came to the chorus, Ronnie lo- you know, everybody's taller than Ronnie. Ronnie looks up at me with his, with his own mic, shoved it in my face, and goes, sing! You know, and <laughs> I could actually hear myself singing over his mic, over the house. Over the, 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 so that was my, my second time.
4: Wow. Uh, that, was like, that
1: was like a hallmark. <laughs> yeah. Being able to perform. I'm standing right next to Ronnie friggin' Dio,
4: yeah, And
1: he's shoving his mic in my face. That That's probably one of the beta, greatest brushes with greatness, I think, uh, uh, especially for a Dio fan,
0: sure. to have
1: yeah. like that.
0: You did, know. did any of that, either of those shows get filmed with those performances?
1: I'm glad you asked. Uh, I was told they were. I was friends with the office manager at Niji. He passed away some years ago. He told me that Wendy has that stuff in the vault if or when it's ever going to be released is anybody's guess. Right. But he said, yeah, that we, he goes, we got footage of it. And, uh. and on YouTube, a very rare audio only was released of the one from Irvine, I think. And, and it's, it's when I first heard it some years ago, the quality wasn't that bad. Then it disappeared off of YouTube. And then I found it again. And the quality was like, Crap, it was horrible, little crackly and staticky, and breaking up, and like that. So, I don't know what what, what happened with that, and I don't know why Wendy is holding out on on releasing that because I mean, god, you know, we'd love to, we'd all love to see that. Thunderball. We were managed by a guy named Ken Rubin. Kenny handled all of the artists and the, and the billboard advertising over the Rainbow and the Roxy, amongst many other the things that he did. And he was our manager when we got the, the nationally released Western Union commercial that we did as, as Future Rage. I'm calling about your band, Future Rage. You better send money,
2: they're trashing my stage. To send someone money fast, come to Western Union. We'll make sure it gets to any of our 13,000 locations usually in 15 minutes. Or less. Keep in touch. Western Union, the fastest way to send money.
0: My brother and I used to love that commercial when we were kids. Seeing you guys smashing the guitars and stuff.
1: Yeah, that was us. That was Thunderball. (laughs) Wow. And uh, uh, so at that time, Kenny was also managing uh, um, Oh, what the hell is his name? Just a Hendrix uh, uh, tribute. Randy Hansen.
4: Hmm.
1: Randy Hansen has been doing a Jimi Hendrix impression tribute for decades, and a really good one, too. Turns out Randy was the main guitar player for Sam Kennison's band. So I get a call on a Sunday afternoon. Katie okay, goes, You want to play with Sam? Yeah. Okay. He goes, Get down to the China Club right now. Now. So I got a ride from my roommate. We zoomed over to the China Club, and uh, and I met Sam. Uh, we we I he and Sam and I had seen each other, like at other shows, after shows, and parties and things like that. When he was like wired, but he kind of remembered my face a little bit. And I, I said I was told I come down down here and play with you. And Randy Hansen came over and said, yeah, Sam, this is the, you know, and set it up and this is Rick Fox and he's gonna you know play with us. And so Sam, goes, you want to do the, you know, uh, the early show or the late show? I said I'll, I'll do the second show. He goes, all right, great. So they did an early show, then it was an intermission. Everybody's downstairs in the green room, the bar, and hanging out, blah, 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 like that. And little by little, people started to filter out of there, and I guess I was engaged in a conversation with somebody I didn't know. I start to hear the music through the floor, the band playing. So I run upstairs with my bass, and I'm standing on the side of the stage, on the stage left, and Jimmy Bain is playing bass in my spot. Uh Oh, i don't know how that happened uh but you know jimmy was he was a well-loved and and totally networked player
0: yeah oh, you know yeah. and
1: and so he's gonna have you know priority in things like this so uh fortunately the the, the bass tech on stage left was a friend of mine he, he looked over at me and he did a double take he goes you're supposed to be up there right now i said i know nobody told me anything when it was gonna happen he goes all right one minute one minute like that they finished the song he runs up the stairs, grabs Jimmy by the shoulders, brings him over to the stairs and Jimmy's like as as usual, three sheets to the wind. He brings him down the stairs unplugs his bass plugs me in, gets him picked by my shoulders, pushes me up the stairs and goes go! I go up the stairs and I, I look down at Jimmy Jimmy's like totally bewildered going what's happening man? What's, what happened? What, what, what happened? What's going on man? Like that <laughs> and, and I I look over and Sam looks back at me. I look up at Sam. Mm -hmm. Sam goes, You ready? Give me the thumb Ready? And I said, yeah. And we we launched into wild thing.
2: Oh, we all got some kind of wild thing and went through our lives and made it hell. Cause everybody's had one, you me. There laughing at you. I don't care if it was last week or third grade, someone broke your heart. What was her?
1: And, and it, again it was one of those monumental hallmark pinch me moments because yeah you know, I mean uh, that's fairly well known in, in the Hollywood scene as far as you know being a player with a lot of the, the bands and stuff. I look across the stage and it's Randy Hansen on all the way on stage right next to him and, and and get your get your pen and make a list out. Uh, <laughs> little Steven Van Zant wow. on guitar uh, Randy Castile. On um, drums,
4: nice. from Ozzy
1: and Lita Ford, uh, Jean Beauvoir, from you know, drums along the Mohawk yeah. with his with his big white Mohawk and on a guitar, there was a keyboard player named Robin something. I don't remember who he was, and a very inebriated John Goodman on blues harp.
0: John Goodman, wow. John
1: Goodman, as big as he was, you know, before he lost all the weight, and and I mean you could tell the guy was. tall. He wasn't stoned; he was drunk. Yeah, I guess he was trying to do a Blues Brothers thing, and him and Sam are trading off harmonica, guitar, harmonica, guitar. So we're just kind of going with the flow of the whole thing.
0: Oh, that's awesome!
1: And, and it's like that—that's like my other hallmark of brushes with greatness. I mean, that's—it's just wow, you know—to to be able to to have the opportunity to share the stage with such great, massive talent like that is—is is, has to be. Uh, 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 definitely a, a category you brushes with greatness,
3: man. So, that's sure. super cool.
1: Those are those are some of my my high high points.
0: How was John Goodman? Pretty nice guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was he was nice. Like I said, he was really drunk, but he was nice. <laughs> I'm surprised he made it down the stairs off the stage, but you know, and I don't I don't recall seeing Jimmy after that. The rest of the night, you know, there must have been a million friggin' cameras going off. It was like stars in at night thousands of flashes of cameras. I don't have picture one of me and Sam playing on stage.
0: Oh, that's a bummer.
1: I have one shot picture of him and I downstairs in, in the in the green room and he's got his arm around me and he's doing, you know, the Sam Kennison, ah, you know, face like that with, his, with the head, scarf on his head. And <laughs> and, and that's it. I, I People have told me, oh, I got pictures. I just got to dig them out. This is like a couple of decades ago. I, I never got, you know,
0: Man, is when that, that a, when that wild thing video was in, on MTV, Sam Kennison for a little while there was like the biggest star in America at the time. Oh, he was yeah, so big,
1: yeah. And that also tied into his his uh, his stage routine about uh, uh, breaking up with the girlfriend. I want all my records back, <laughs> like that. and and uh you're a bitch from hell, and all this, you know, <laughs> heartache about breaking up with somebody. Like
4: oh, that. man. so
1: that's yeah. that'll that swirl that ties in that's why wild thing would have been great and you know it would have been even better if uh jessica hahn showed up but she wasn't there <laughs>
0: so. yeah she's pretty unforgettable in that video that's for sure oh yeah <laughs>
1: yeah well you know her jessica hahn and sam kennison both come from fundamental christian backgrounds yeah and right. they have rebelled against you know that part of the church so it's,
0: yeah apparently he was like a full-on preacher before he got into comedy
1: and so was his dad, I believe. You know? Yeah, uh, I'm still friends with his brother Bill. Mm-hmm. So we we just you know we're loosely hi, how you doing? And happy anniversary on this, or you know, uh, uh, re- remembering like a, on the day when when Sam died, we'll we'll post a little tribute or something like that. But uh, so that was that was just uh, you know, I, I'm glad I, I was able to have. People say you're like the the Forrest Gump of rock and roll.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was mine. I came up with that.
1: (laughs) These key key places, when things certain important events happened, I said, you know, if you remember Saturday Night Live, Rich Hall had a character that used to do that as one of his routines. He'd walk around with a shopping bag and a raincoat, and whenever there was something like really important happening, he'd kind of like pop his head in from the side of the frame, (laughs) like, like Forrest Gump did. You know, in in the movie, you'd stick his head into in front of the cameras in the frame, whatever was being filmed at the time. But uh, uh, so, yeah, you know, being in, in key points at certain points in history is. Uh, uh, I, I'm just grateful for for the opportunity to have been in these places at that time.
0: I've always wondered: Have you ever met the other Rick Fox, the player for the Lakers?
1: No, and you know, I contacted, I reached out, I contacted their their office one time, and I said, look. We Both know his real name is Ulrich. Oh, is it? He just,
0: yeah, yeah, he just
1: shortens it to Rick and he spells it differently. I said, Look, I made my name in in Hollywood and LA long before he even arrived in Los Angeles. (laughs) It's a lot of confusion. Is there anything we can do to clarify that confusion? I must have got some young intern on the phone and he goes, No, you know, and I got pretty much dismissed. Hmm. He had no idea who I was. (laughs) I had, you know, I didn't have, you know. A uh, higher type of uh, management representation to do these protocols correctly or properly. I just, I have a habit of just kind of taking the reins and doing stuff myself, yeah. you know, uh, like that. And and so, and I, I'd say, to answer your question, you know, I never met him. Uh, he's not as as out there in public now, as, now as, as he used to be. But whenever you do like an internet search for Rick Fox, and you t- if you type in RikFox underneath that, it'll say, did you mean R-I-C-K-F-O-X?
0: Well, in fairness, Rick, I, I think you have a better jump shot than he does.
1: A better jump shot? Yeah. <laughs> have you seen me try and do a jump shot?
0: No. <laughs> it's just a guess. You should have just challenged him to a, to a game of one on one, and whoever wins uh, gets to keep the name.
1: <laughs> well, I, he would win hands down. Come on. <laughs> That's why you had to challenge him to a base off. Uh, yeah. There we go. There we go. Base off. But yeah, yeah, his his full his real full name uh, first name is is Ulrich. Like like, uh, like Mars, uh, what's face say? Uh, Lars, uh, not Lars. Who am I thinking of? But yeah, it's Ulrich is more of like a German name,
3: mm-hmm. right?
1: So. Like like Uli John Roth. Yeah, exactly.
3: They yeah. call him Uli, but it's Ulrich.
0: Ulrich, yeah.
1: So he just shortens it to Rick Fox, and I'm Uli like Fox. Rick
0: Fox. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, I actually met Uli Roth too at Nam.
0: Did you? Yeah.
1: When I was I was uh was playing with. Oh, the hell is that? Uh, Kevin Ray had a band, uh, uh, White White Lie, and we were playing a lot of times down at, in Orange County uh, at one of the clubs down there. And and um, that was one of the clubs that was they would have Nam show bands play at. It was tied into Nam, and and Uli was headlining at this club. And so I went over to talk to him, and I said, "We have something in common." He goes, "What's that?" I said, "Angry Malmsteen <laughs> <laughs> he busted up laughing Hey, <laughs> uh, at that level the playing field pretty quick so I have a picture of him and I talking and we're laughing about this and I said well we're opening we're supporting you uh, not opening but we're supporting you later on tonight at the club such and such club he goes alright so you know, we'll look forward to that and, and so we got to share the stage not at the same time but you know we, we played and then Willie, Willie went on right after us so, so that was nice too
0: did you ever hang out with uh, Jeff Scott Soto and uh, share Ingve stories? Uh,
1: well, I knew Jeff before he played with Momstein, um, and and of course we talked afterwards. And I, I can't say that he had anything much nice to say about it. Uh, yeah. And the same thing with the uh, uh, well, point is, I bumped into several of uh, Momstein's former singers, and we all share some of those those uh, similar stories. Graham Bonnet at, at Nam. Hmm. i walked up to Graham I said we have something in common he goes what's that I said momstein and he rolled his eyes and laughed <laughs> and 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 told me the story about why how that the night uh um when bombstein grabbed him by the throat and she was choking him
0: yeah he was trying to kill him uh, oh, yeah shit. he
1: accidentally tripped over the guitar cord and pulled it out of the guitar and afterwards momstein went up to uh Graham by the throat and put him up against the wall and he said you do that again I'll, and I'll Freaking kill you and then the security guy comes over he goes no you're not and he puts momstein in a headlock wow. just like like a like a lobster claw just just squeezed on the neck you know Momsteen let go and that that was the night momstein got fired and andy wow. truman went with him
0: mm. what a guy <laughs> so yeah yeah you know how to pick interesting uh guitar players to be around <laughs>
1: i guess well i, I didn't pick him so <laughs> you know um and speaking of Dio um, again at NAM, I went over to, I wanted to walk over to, uh, to Vinnie Apathy you know when this is when Tara was still alive uh, and she was taking all these pictures because I had played on on a, a couple of tracks with this guy Jim Crane out of Buffalo New York on yeah. uh, his album London Fog I played on two songs that uh, uh, Vinnie Vinnie Apathy played drums on we did a song with Frank Domino, an angel song don't take your love. And we did a song called Broken. And uh, I went over to, to Vinny. I said, hey, you know, with the shake of his hand, I, said, I just want to say it was a, such a, an honor and a privilege to be able to play on a couple of cuts with you. Uh, he goes, what cuts? I said, you played on the Jim Crean album, right? He goes, well, I play on a lot of them. I said, yeah. I said, "You play." Uh, we recorded on Broken and Don't Take Your Love. And he looks at me, he goes, that was you? Like, <laughs> he didn't even know who the bass player was. Right. And these tracks. I said, yes, we played together. I mean, not in the same room. You know, it was all done with with uh you, you everybody mails the files back and forth, that emails the the tracks. Yeah. Right. But I said, Yeah, I said that that's me playing on, on Broken with you and, and don't take your load. He just, just kind of had this he was stunned, I guess. I, I've never seen anybody respond to something like that. I, and I guess he didn't even know. So, you know, he said, Well, let's, you know, we took a couple of pictures and that was it. And, it was my, my Vinny Appice moment with greatness, I guess. <laughs>
3: uh, I and, suppose, and, so, like, like you say, I, I you never, know, he does that all the time. So I mean, if he's always you know recording stuff, mailing it in, maybe it dawned on him, he's like, you know, I probably don't know half the bass players that I've been a rhythm section with over the years on these albums.
1: You know, yeah, but when you're when you're going to be put on a project like that, you generally know in advance who all the players are. Right. And and Crean Crean told me. Uh, I said I, I had a, a, or an uncomfortable meeting with Vinny some years before that at NAM. You know, when I had gone up to him to, to shake his hand, I said, "Hi, I'm Rick Fox." You know, like that. He looks at me, he goes, "Yeah, and
0: ah, oh, that oh, was
1: like totally dismissive." And it didn't dawn on me at that moment to tell him that I was in Burn when he was playing with, with Vinny with uh, with Ronnie. Burn was under Niggy's management. After Sin broke up, I, I got the gig with a band called Burn. Well, Kurt Lorraine was the manager under under uh, Wendy Dio. Wendy was managing Rough Cut and and Ronnie. Kurt was managing Burn. I got the gig with Burn. I replaced their bass player, Bill Sweet, and so I was kind of in the in the Niji family, if you will. And it didn't dawn on me to, to tell you know Vinny that that uh you know I was part of the 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 Niji management family I don't know if that would have made any any never mind with him at that mm. point but you know it just it was just weird to have him kind of like dismissively just kind of blow me off going yeah and so nah, that's I, didn't, I didn't I didn't of course I didn't bring that up <laughs> years you know later at, at the name yeah. show when I told him <laughs> that I played with him <laughs> in the Crane stuff so right <laughs> um, yeah there's there's been some really odd awkward moments as well so i guess they go hand in hand with all the good stuff too. sure so, yeah they shouldn't but they they did well, happen
0: one thing i was going to ask you about um and it's for some reason it's become i guess fodder for news sites this past week with like um don Dockin talking about how the rest of the band was doing a lot of blow and he didn't so he didn't fit in with the guys and um i think it was joey allen from Warrant was saying you know how the or eric turner is saying that the partying's not what it was back in the '80s, like it used to be. So you were, you know, right in the middle of that whole scene. Did you did you partake in the partying, or were you a, an outsider of that? Or and did you see like really horrible abuse of drugs when you were in that scene?
1: I have to say, I was an outsider. Uh, there was there was that whole once the the bands in the '80s really started to take off and were all touring a lot with each other, then there was the formation of that their little clique called Party Ninjas. And, and you had your, your Motley Crew guys, your um, Alan Krieger, guys from, from House of Lords. Uh, who else? Uh, Ozzy. God, you put Motley Crew and Ozzy together and it's like it's going to be dynamite, you know, yeah. no matter where it is. And, and they would they have these when they get off the road and they still have that that adrenaline from being on the road and they're not playing. So they would go to clubs and hang out and they'd get in a back room somewhere and, and they'd open up, and there's half of Peru, and they're going, you know, snorting up everything. And and that's kind of what I remember the most about these party ninjas, guys. So, you know, they're all obviously validated to each other on the same level, their A-level, whatever it is. And I wasn't there. I was below that. So I didn't party with a lot of these guys. And and perhaps that's it's for the, for the better health-wise. But I, I probably missed out on a lot of, potential opportunities of being able to jam with or play and get into their their net click network had mm. i been part of that mm. but i i've, I've seen a, a lot of it i they'd show up at all the all the jams in, in la and in hollywood whoever was putting on a an all-star jam and i would be told come on down come on down bring your bass come on down and i'm telling you i would say had a, a there was a jam called new york city nyc jam and it was put on by a guy who was alita ford's Guitar tech at the time. Uh, I can't remember his name. Big, big heavy set guy. Uh, And they said, Come on, bring it. And and guys, black and blue, Jamie was there, and Mitch Perry, uh, all these guys. And I would sit in the dressing room watching a parade of performers going past me on the stage, off the stage, on the stage, off the stage. And I sat there, I'm telling you, all night with my bass in the dressing room. And I never got called up once. And you look back and you go, okay, well, who are the bass players involved in this? Now, no disrespect. That being said, the two main guys that were uh, um, anchoring the rhythm section for all of these jams were Jimmy Bain and Phil Susan. Mm-hmm. And they would just interchange themselves back and for Jimmy and Phil and Jimmy and Phil. And no other bass players get to go up there and play. They'd swap out drummers and singers and guitar players and blah 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 blah, but those two guys would just rotate, and I would, I would never get a chance to play. And and some of these party ninja jams, I'd be sitting there all night with my bass, with my thumb on my ass. And, and and by the end of that, you know, Jamie Jamie St James comes back and goes, hey, when when are you going up? I said, I don't know. They, nobody's called me. You know, I'm just he goes, I'm just sitting here. And and this would happen on you know several occasions. So I, I was never part of the inside inner circle of the party ninjas, and and I just watched it. I was like an outside observer. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like George Carlin says: "It's a club, and you're not a member. You know, right. you're not a, you're not allowed in. It's a yeah. private club."
0: But n- yeah, never a so. temptation to uh, snort a little or get into that that scene.
1: I, I, I dabbled, yeah. I, I, well, and back in when I was playing the the the, the Jersey club scene with E. Walker, we were playing six nights a week, four or five sets a night. And a couple of the, well, one or two of the clubs were, you know, uh, we were, were like house regulars there. Um, the whole staff loved us. They loved the band. I was a new guy in the band. I replaced their other bass player. I replaced a lot of guys in my career. Um, and, and so after the, you know, the bars in New York would close at four in the morning. So after the club would close and we're, packing our stuff out the back door. And then every once in a while, one of the the, uh, the staff would go, Hey Rick, you want some beer? Like, sure. Here's, here's a case Molson. So I was getting free cases of Molson out the back door every week. I had like, at any time I had six to eight cases under my window in my kitchen. You know, <laughs> <laughs> in my Jersey apartment, but they would have after parties at somebody's house
4: hmm.
1: in, in, in the area that, around where the club was. And of course, Everybody, all the guys, the, the bouncers, the bartenders, they all had their own little stash of blow. And they're
4: like, Rick, Rick, come here, come here, come here,
1: you know, and get a corner and, you know, do a little bit. And then I'd be walking around and somebody else from the club, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. You know, and I, I didn't have a car at the time. So it was really interesting for me to play six nights a week with a band that was playing all over Jersey and upstate New York. And I didn't have a car. Mm. So I would rely on various people to give me a ride back and forth to my to my partner or pick me up and like that and and, and I had a whole network of people that would be able to drive me I was so fortunate you know and five o'clock six o'clock in the morning daylight's coming I got I can't sleep I'm wired (laughs) you know Uh, know, I can only do that for so long you know the the guys in the band were pot smokers Mm. I didn't partake in that I I just I cannot get into the whole stoned mentality (laughs) but (laughs) these guys you know they, they, we'd they'd sit, we'd sit in the dressing. Room, they'd light up a joint and they'd get, they'd get hammered, and go on stage and play. And I'm, I, I, just couldn't do that, you know. So I was never a hundred percent one of the boys in the band either because I didn't party with them hmm. like that. So there's, there's, there's the opportunity to party, but I declined because I didn't want to smoke pot. Yeah, well,
0: in, you know, in hindsight, I, you should be commended for that. I would think because I mean it, it's probably helped you in the long run. Oh
1: yeah. Well, don't get me wrong. I wasn't a saint.
0: I'm not saying that, but you didn't, you didn't get lost in it though.
1: I I did some psychedelics in high school. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) That's where the Martian Uh, rock band idea came from.
1: (laughs) No, that wasn't, they were already in existence. Okay. uh, uh, You know, I, I dabbled in it in high school. You know, uh, I was the only underclassman from my freshman year until I was a senior, all four years to be able to have access to the senior smoking lounge because I was hip enough to have copies of underground comics, Zap comics, Mr. Natural, all this stuff. And, and all the seniors were hip to that. Anybody who was involved in the drug culture in high school knew what the underground comics were, Robert Crumb, all that Mm -hmm. stuff, you know? um, And so they would see my comics and go, Hey, can I borrow this? Like for the next period. And my comics were being passed all around the senior class and, and I said, I started to figure out, you know what, you want to borrow my comics? Give me access to the senior lounge. He went, okay, done. <laughs> so, you know, when the, de- the dean would walk around, he goes, you see, what are you doing in here? You're not supposed to be in here. And I just point over to the seniors and they went, he's okay, he's with us. So I was able to finagle at, the, you know, uh, I was, I was hipper than most of the, than most of my other classmen around me like nice. that. So they, now that's where the dabbling in the psychedelics came from and. I tried mescaline, and you know there was yeah, the other, you know, uh, um, purple haze, double barreled sunshine, blue shear, um, you know, this little tab stuff, and you know, and twelve hours later, you're like in another, another universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, it was, it was interesting. I'm glad I survived that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but but uh, as far as heavy stuff, no, I never did any really heavy. That that was too scared to get involved in that crap. Yeah. So, but yeah, I was never, I mean, I, I smoked pot a little bit in high school, but pot in, in, in 19, 1970, 71, 72, pot was pure. It was, it was, you know, so organic and that the high was so mellow. You weren't like stupid stone, you know, years later, they barely starts dabbling, putting stuff in it and it, it, it poison and toxic crap. And, you know, and it's like, it wasn't the same thing, you know, so. I, you know, I got out of that. It didn't do anything for me. So, but yeah, I, I had my moments of experimentation. Um, <laughs> be that as it may, but yeah, no, not not. Holly, I didn't do that much blow in Hollywood. You know, I, I knew what it was for, what it was. I, I might do it once here or once there, but not on a regular basis at all. I, I figure if I got to run a band, and I got to make decisions, I got to have my head about me. Yeah, and I, I I've seen what it does to some people. It makes them stupid and crazy and irrational. I'm like, no, I, I you know what? I, I, I there's more important things to spend money on besides drugs. That was basically yeah. my bo- my bottom line, like that. So,
3: and can uh, you on. imagine Rick Fox on Coke? <laughs> no,
4: I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> you know,
1: uh, well. Tara told me she, she we were had moments of you know of, of open honesty and stuff and told me that when she was hanging out in the club before we got together that you know she had a problem with blow mm-hmm. and she actually enlisted herself into a, a, a program uh, in the hospital to get herself off of it, which which was great. But her girlfriends said she could do so much blow and you'd never knew she was on it. She did not yeah. act like the actual average person who's on blow like that. He said the only way you could tell if she was on blow is she would never blink. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of blow. <laughs> Her eyes would just be open, but she wasn't speedy, yeah, or active uh, or hyper. You know, they, so I, I I didn't know that until they, they to, after she passed. and They told me that he said, "Yeah, she would. She just wouldn't blink. It was freaky."
0: Yeah.
1: So, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm
0: I'm guessing Blackie was a, a sober dude.
1: Uh, no, not completely. No. Uh, when when I first got there at his, his apartment, uh, his car wasn't working, and he was broke. He didn't I don't remember where he got the money from to, to fly me out to California. But he would usually rely on Mike Solin to drive us everywhere. And uh, he would we would stop at Turner's liquor store right next to Barney's Beanery on, on Santa Monica Boulevard. He would buy a, a little pint of vodka. And like I said, New Yorkers do. He'd sit on the hood of, the, of a car, and he'd sit there little by little, little by little, slowly, and down that whole pint of vodka just to get his buzz on. He goes, "Why should I go in a club and spend like a, a, a extravagant amounts of money on overpriced drinks? You know, when you could I could just buy this for less than half the price." And and, and then he would finish the, the little pint of it, whatever, and, and throw the bottle out, and then we'd go up to the clubs. So that was he. He he was a drinker. He he drank vodka, and I can't. I mean, me being Polish, I can't drink vodka. That that's a Polish drink. Uh, uh, but he he drank this stuff straight. Now just like ugh. So, yeah. um, I guess once he got the taste of power, he he must have stopped. You know, when when uh, when Rod Smallwood came in, maybe maybe even before that.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, you
1: know, when you try to run a band, you got to have your head, and your wits about you. And he had his hands full with
0: Tony and Chris. I'll well, say like, Chris Holmes probably yeah. did his share.
1: Oh, and, and, and your share and your share, and my share, and his share. I mean, no disrespect to Chris; he's a sweetheart.
0: Oh, but, he yeah. is. But yeah, but he he definitely knew how to tie one on.
1: Oh, and 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 make sure you couldn't untie it.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: but yeah. So you know, and, and yeah, Tony drank and and did drugs. So uh, not so much while I was playing with him, but but Tony just always had that expression on his face. He just always looked like he was stoned. You know, it was just a, just, a, just a, the expression, natural expression, was like that. Like, oh, like know, every, he was,
0: he, every picture I saw of that guy, he looked like an absolute maniac.
1: Yeah, he was a maniac on drums. I'll, I'll give give him that. Yeah, he was he's he was a total immersion body drummer. He hit those drums; they were like cannons.
0: No, yeah, well, yeah, that's that. You can't argue with that first Wasp record. I mean, that's it's a hell uh, of an album.
1: Yeah, yeah, his drums were uh, an acrylic green. Like, bottom had the acrylic amber color,
4: mm-hmm.
1: Ben Zeppelin. Tony had an acrylic green, a really eerie-looking, like a swampy green, cool. And we came, we showed up at rehearsal one time, and the whole, Randy's whole rehearsal room, the, the whole facility smelled like paint. Tony had just finished painting the insides of all of his drum shells black. So you had this even swampier, greenish-black color of his drums, and rehearsing, and the whole place stinks like paint. But he he painted all his green drums black on the inside.
0: That's interesting.
3: Well, man, this has been freaking awesome. I knew it when we said, you know, we could get a bunch of different people to do this, or we could just get Rick Fox. Rick Rick will speak for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and your brushes with greatness are freaking awesome. And like I said, you know... There's a lot of people that you've listed that I would say, and I'm sure a lot of listeners would say, man, I'd love to have met that person or I'd love to meet that person. And it's always cool to hear the stories of somebody else that's got to do it. And, you know, Rick Fox, you make friends everywhere you go. I think it's easy for you because you are easily one of the most stylish mofos I've ever seen in my entire life. When people see Rick Fox, they go, who is that guy? I want to meet him. I want to go talk to him. So I knew oh. you'd have some great ones <laughs> well, today. From
1: from your lips to God's ears. I hope. I hope people are like that because it, it's a big swing from what it used to be in the eighties and nineties. You know, it's like, oh, Rick Fox. Oh my God. You know, with with no really tangible reason to say to support why somebody would have that reaction. So you know, I I, I, I thank you so much for your acknowledgement of that, and and uh, you know I. You, know, you learn a lot over the years, and it's just not worth it being being the crazy like you. It's not like you said; it's not the '80s anymore. And not that I was crazy, but um, people don't have the time and the patience for that kind of stuff anymore. I think, you know. And and we're all getting older; we're settling down a little bit. We know, so we don't want to deal with any kind of stuff like that. So it's just it just pays to be nice to everybody as much as possible, right. you know, when possible. Yeah, you know.
0: I agree with that.
1: And I feel like I'm on that threshold again, because I, I finally got a great
0: gig with Freak Show. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit before we get off here.
1: Yeah. And and you know the the the, the uh, we have a video coming out in about a week, I think within the week, the album's going to drop, the new album.
4: Nice. And there'll
1: be another video after that. Now booking shows is usually done now a year out in advance. Mm-hmm. The world is getting ready to flip. I mean, you know, is, is it going to be World War Three? Is it going to be another lockdown? Is it going to be another pathogen, another contagion? What is going on? You know, and if there I'm at, I'm at the threshold. I'm getting ready to jump out the plane and somebody goes, nope, not today. Everybody back in, the, you know, get out of the pool. So it's like I can't live in that moment because I feel like it's going to get taken away.
0: Well, let's hope that the world goes to hell after you finish the tour.
1: Right. <laughs> if there is a tour, yeah, yeah I hope so. Uh, uh, from what I, I'm told, this is not going to be like a van and a, and a and a trailer or a van and a tra- you know uh, club tour. Mm-hmm. They're they're uh, opting only for like the larger festival size venue shows, big shows, which is great for me because I, I missed that whole bus in the '80s and '90s. Yeah. So, um, I mean, look, and look at the talent that's in this band. You got a Ronnie Moore shirt from Miss Crazy. And Trixie, who's uh, the songwriter and, and uh, uh, you know, main guitar player. <clears throat> uh, Carlos Cavasso on guitar. yeah, yeah. And Stet Howland. Stet fucking Howland on yeah. drums.
0: He's a Howland he player.
1: Two ex-WASP members in the band.
0: Yep.
3: That's awesome.
1: Like that, you know. And and, uh, and they told me how I got the game. You know, uh, Greg Chason was actually responsible mm. from Badlands. Uh, he, he Greg recorded on the album. And, and uh, just when he finished recording on the album, uh, somebody on Facebook posted a picture of Steel Panther on America's Got Talent. And I happened to write under that thread. And I went, how come I'm not in a band like this? I'm sitting here in Missouri with my thumb up my ass. How come I'm not in a band like Steel Panther? And a bunch of people said, started responding, saying, you know what? You should be in a band like this. You, you deserve it. You should be in a band. Right. Greg Chason saw that that thread, tagged my name and tagged Ronnie Borchardt's name. And then he contacted me off offline later. He says, said, he said, he said, "I'm going to put you in touch with Ronnie." He goes, "I just recorded on the album." He goes, "I got Atomic Kings. All we right. just finished our album." He goes, "You know, and and uh, uh, I got to the store in Phoenix. You know, bizarre guitar. I got my. He's Greg. Greg's, Greg. is settled in Phoenix, so he has other commitments. He says, "I can't. I couldn't commit." If they wanted me to join the band. So they said, well, can you recommend somebody? He goes, right off the top of my head, first thing I said was Rick Fox. You know, that's divine intervention right there. Yeah, that's, yeah that is that awesome. And, and, and Tara's spirit. He says, Rick, this stuff is right in your wheelhouse. It's like 80s rock. He goes, you know how I play. I know how you... Greg and I come from the same uh, uh, 70s background, bass players. You know, Humble Pie, Grand Funk Railroad, uh, you know, that that genre.
4: And
1: And so he goes... He goes, you could you could run anywhere with this stuff that I I recorded on here. So he goes, it's it's really you know it's it's not simple, but he goes, you have a feel for it, so this would be perfect for you. He goes, and that's what he told Ronnie. He says Rick is perfect. He's the guy. Rick is the guy you want for this.
3: Heck yeah. And
1: and so uh, you know originally Freak Show had uh, Jeff Labar in it.
0: Oh really? He passed away.
1: Yeah, it was Jeff Labar, uh, Frankie Benelli, and Tony Franklin. Oh wow. So I'm stepping into some big shoes here,
0: yeah.
1: you know, and, and Ronnie has done some interviews uh, uh, that are out there on YouTube explaining what happened with the breakup of the original uh, free show and, and why it went that way. It did. And, and he's, he's put out like 25 albums or so. Ronnie's constantly churning out product, yeah. you know, so now it's an opportunity where, where all of us are really great guys. We're nice guys. We're not out of our minds uh, that as far as I know, And, and, uh, hopefully we're going to be able to see this thing actually take off and, and, and get some flight to it. Uh, I'm going to have a blast playing with Stett right right there. And I've, I've known Stett before he was in Wasp when he first came to Hollywood. Oh, wow. And we were both working on a, for a moving company called Starving Students. (laughs) We we were working off the moving trucks together. So we go that far back, you know, like that. And, And so, uh and Steph's really busy. He's out with Metal Church a lot. Uh, he's he's got a he lives in Florida, and he's got a house in Vegas. So he's back and forth. The guy's always he's almost as busy as Ron Keel, you know, so like that. And then he's got he's got a like a bar or a club, some kind of club in Florida uh, that just survived one of the the storms they had down there. And his wife uh, Heidi helps him run the club. I, and Heidi was friends with my wife too. Uh, um, Stet and Heidi came to see me play at one of the at the one of the Nam Show jams. So um, we keep we the, the dots keep connecting. We keep bumping into each other. So um, God, if it wasn't for the freak show gig, I don't know what I'd be doing right now because there's that much of a music scene here.
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, it's, it's nobody for me to connect with, at least on my level. Gotcha. You know, uh, uh, I mean, the, the, one of the biggest bands out of Springfield is Machine Gun Symphony. Mm-hmm. You know, they're an '80s tribute band, and and the singer had spent some time in on the LA club scene for a while. So he and I are the only people in Missouri that are like LA hip, yeah, you know, like that. You know, he he knows how to deliver it to the to the crowd, play it to the crowd. He's a he's an awesome uh, Jay Stevens. He's an awesome frontman, and and he's a radio personality on on I think it's 104 The Cave out of out of Springfield. So like that, and you know, and and other than that, there's there's nothing else to do here. You know, I, I I rehomed Tara's horses and the goat. I have the chickens and the ducks out back, but and and, and the cats. So you know, uh, I'm like, okay, what do I do now? And the prayers you know, were answered. I, I got this gig with Freak Show, and uh, I'm, I'm just thankful and and uh, you know, privileged to, to get that. It's just I can't. I told him I can't wait for us to get in a room together and actually play. We haven't even played together yet. Wow. You know. We shot we shot the videos in Reno they flew me the label flew me to Reno uh, about a month ago and and we did the two videos and then uh I there may maybe more I don't know it, it depends what what Ronnie wants to do and and like that and so uh we're just waiting to see what happens after that you know the album come there's there's some high power um press promo people involved with this I think that worked with kiss or something I don't know who it is but uh, you know, this the album's gonna get like this huge push. I'm told. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah and it's a killer album, and it's some really great songs on here. You know, it's it's got eighties metal. It's got well, me me, I hear bits and pieces of everything because I've been exposed to it so much. I hear Rob Zombie, I hear Bowie, I hear Nirvana, I hear Motley Crue, and Dokken On this, it's it's just such an a weird span of different types of of rock music on this. It's just it's just going to be really interesting. I'd like to see the people's reactions when they finally get a copy of it. And it's being released on vinyl as well. Nice. That's cool. So, yeah, yeah I mean, like old, like old style with the, with the you know, the cardboard sleeve and the liner notes and all of that. So so I'm, I'm
3: looking forward to it. So
1: I I hope you guys give us a little rotation there on your shows.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
3: You know we will.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you have you, a web do you have a website that people can go to to check out more info on it?
1: There, there is a, a freak show Facebook page. Okay, uh, I don't have the link in front of me, but I, I could send it to you.
0: Yeah, I'll link like it in that. the show and notes it, for this episode. Okay, oh, okay, yeah. Okay.
1: yeah. So, well, anyway, so I hope I, I've, I hope I've, uh, I
3: hope I've uh, uh, fit the bill here and, and uh, delivered the goods.
0: Uh, yeah, I think it was great.
3: Yeah, you definitely have, man. And I know everybody's going to enjoy it. I know I enjoy it. This is always fun to do it. Always fun to hang out with you, Rick. Man, I'm so happy for you and the freak show thing going on. I'm excited to hear it.
0: Well, this was fun, man. And uh, I hope all you guys listening let us know what your favorite stories were uh, and tell us about your brushes with greatness in the comments yeah. section when you hear this.
3: And let us know if this is some we should revisit more than once every three years. Yeah. I think it's a cool concept.
0: Well, thanks, everybody, for listening.
3: And as it just so happens to turn out, there actually is a Freak Show song right now that we can share, and it's pretty easy to see why Rick is so excited to become a part of this band. So check this out, pretty new, it's Freak Show with Loving You, Loving Me, and we'll see you next week.